You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. My name is Denny Burke. I serve as the president of CBMW, and I'll be your host for today's episode. And I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Christopher Yuan to the program today to discuss a new video series for teenagers that he has produced titled The Holy Sexuality Project. You can learn more about the series at holysexuality.com. You can also find out more about Christopher there and about his powerful testimony. Christopher has taught Bible at Moody Bible Institute for 12 years, and his speaking ministry on faith and sexuality has reached five continents. He speaks at conferences on college campuses and in churches. In 2011, he co-authored with his mother their memoir titled Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God. Christopher graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2005 and received a master's in biblical exegesis in 2007 and a doctorate of ministry in 2014. Dr. Yuan's newest book titled Holy Sexuality in the Gospel was named 2020 Book of the Year for Social Issues by Outreach Magazine. Christopher and I have been friends for nearly 10 years now. We met back in 2014 at a conference where we were both speaking, and then he joined us in 2017 as one of the initial drafters of the Nashville Statement. Both in his books and his speaking, he has been a consistent, faithful voice advocating for the Bible's teaching on sexuality and gender. He's been such an encouragement to me personally, and I could not be more pleased to welcome him to the program today. Thank you so much for joining us, brother. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Denny. Um, you know, it's it's uh, always a pleasure to to partner with you and to be a part of um, you know what you're doing with CBMW. Uh, so, just grateful for you. Thanks for having me on. Now, we're having you on today to talk about this new uh, initiative that you've started called the Holy Sexuality Project, and I have. Uh, begun into the videos. I haven't finished all the videos, but the Holy Sexuality Project is really a resource for teenagers and parents. And it's these wonderfully, beautifully produced videos that are setting forth a biblical vision for what it means to be male and female, um, what sexuality is, what gender is, what marriage is. And it's it's deeply rooted in the Bible. It is so well done. And we're Definitely wanting to talk to you about this new project, uh, but the first thing that I want to do is to talk to you about your testimony. Um, now, I, there's going to be a lot of our listeners that have may, maybe heard some of it or have heard your teaching before, but there's going to be a lot that haven't heard it. And so mm-hmm. I, I really think it would help uh, for folks to understand the Holy Sexuality Project if they could hear a little bit about your story, and then we'll delve more into what the Holy Sexuality Project is all about. So, Christopher, um, share with us your testimony. Yeah, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, didn't go to church with my parents. We didn't own a Bible. I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. I I would say the first time I remember having these attractions, I was nine years old. I came across pornography at a friend's house, and that was the first time that I realized that that something was different. But I didn't tell anyone. Um, I kept my feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps Reserves. And it wasn't until my early 20s, I actually moved from Chicago, where I'm originally from, and I moved to Louisville. I was going to University of Louisville School of Dentistry. I was pursuing my doctorate there, going to be like my dad, a dentist. And it was there that I came out. After a year, I went home, told my parents, and God used that crisis to bring my mother to faith, and then my father did as well. I went the total opposite direction, wanted nothing to do with their crazy religion. 
And I spent most of my free time in the gay clubs. I went from relationship to relationship, seeking intimacy and, and happiness, which I found temporarily. But it still left me feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So I began experimenting with drugs. And this is all while I was in dental school. But I needed to find a way to support my habit. And I did that by selling drugs. And I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor. And I thought that I could do both. I thought I could be a dental student by day and a promiscuous, fun-loving, uh, you know, gay drug dealer uh, in the evening. Well, this whole time, uh, my and I did this all the way through uh, through much of dental school until three months before I was received my doctorate, and the school expelled me. So I moved from Louisville to Atlanta, and there I kept doing what I knew how to do best, have fun, party. And I was not just supplying drugs, uh, I was not just selling drugs, but I was also supplying drugs. I, this whole time, my parents did not know that I was doing drugs, but they knew that my biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So they tried to reach out to the love of Christ. I wanted nothing to do with it. They came to visit me one time in Atlanta. I told them to get out. And and the funny thing, Denny, was they weren't telling me I was living in sin. Uh, they weren't, you know, hitting me over the you know, the head with a Bible. I knew what they believed. It was just the fact that God had so radically transformed their lives that they radiated Christ. That was offensive to me. Told them to leave. Before my dad left, he gave me his Bible, had the notes in the margins, and I told my dad, I don't want your Bible. Left it on my kitchen counter, walked out the door, and as soon as I left, I took my dad's Bible and I threw it in the trash can. That's that's how much I despised God and his word. And it was just obvious that to my mom and my dad that I was hopeless. But they committed not to focus upon hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And along with over 100 prayer warriors from their church, from their Bible study fellowship group, they began to cry out to God for me. My mom began to pray a bold prayer. God, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years, once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She would spend hours every morning in her prayer closet. She prayed for a miracle that God would bring me to himself. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door. On my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. So I just received this large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but a large shipment. Um, and they confiscated that, my money. And I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. I was oh facing 10 years to life in federal prison. So I found myself in jail and I tried calling home, dreading making that phone call. And my mom's first words were, son, are you okay? No condemnation, just words of unconditional love and grace. A few days after that, I was walking around the cell block, passed by this garbage can, and I thought, that's my life. I was about to pass it by, but something on top of the trash caught my eye. Bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. <laughs> Took it back to my cell, opened up that good book, and for the first time, I read through the entire Gospel of Mark. But I wasn't thinking this is the Word of God. I just thought this is 
I've got lots of time on my hands and I better pass it somehow. Mm-hmm. So I, I began reading it more and it began to convict me. And I was like, this is, you know, I, the Bible was telling me I'm a sinner. You know, I, we talk about Romans one and, and I read Romans one and, you know, people would think that the thing that really convicted me most was Romans one, 26 and 27. Actually, it wasn't. It was at the very bottom where it said, you know, and those who do not honor their parents and dishonor their parents. And I don't, I don't know what, for me, that is what cut to the chase. Like my parents, they were mm. the only people that came to visit me. They were the only way people that would answer my phone call, none of my friends. And I just treated that. That was, it, it was revealing me, my sinfulness, my brokenness. And I thought, this is not good news. So things got worse. I was called to the nurse's office and I was given the news that I was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. So a few days after that, I was laying in my bed and I was there was no one else in the cell. I was laying there and I look up at the cold metal bunk above me and someone had scribbled, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Like, Danny, there could have been any verse that was written on there, but God used those verses written by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Judah, to tell me that if God could have a plan for Judah in rebellion, in exile, he could maybe even still have a plan for me. I didn't know where that plan could take me, but God gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. My transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my idols. Obviously, the most obvious one was drugs, but within a few months, he delivered me from that addiction. But there was, man, there was just this one thing that I felt like I just couldn't let go of, my sexuality. So I went to a chaplain and I asked him his opinion. And to my surprise, he told me the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. And he even gave me a book explaining that view. Just, I mean, think about that. I took that book with so much curiosity, thinking that finally I can find now biblical justification for same-sex relationships. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other and everything inside. I had every single reason in the world to accept every single assertion from that book. And I, I look back now and I know it was the indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me. There's no other explanation that convicted me that those assertions from that book, from that human written book was distorting God, his word, and his unmistakable condemnations against same-sex relationships. I couldn't finish that book, and I gave it back to the chaplain. So I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture looking for justification. I wanted, Denny, I wanted to find anything, any verse anything that might bless a monogamous same-sex relationship. I went through a whole Bible. I went cover to cover several times. I mean, I had time. (laughs) I went cover to cover. There was, and I I couldn't find any. So I was at this turning point 
this crossroads, either abandon God and his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived, or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship by freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am, and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, I followed Jesus. Hmm. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality should not be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. I mean, that we, we know that's true, but here's the thing. We as sinners, we want to add to God's truth. I added, you know, God loves me unconditionally, so therefore he doesn't want me to change. But I realized after I was reading the Bible that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. My identity should not be defined by my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my desires, whether they're sexual or romantic. My identity is not gay. It's not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that, that matter. Because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy for I am holy. You know, I used to think to become a Christian, I had to become a heterosexual. I need to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex. As a matter of fact, I was under the false impression that the more sexually attracted I were to lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. But I realized that even if a man had opposite sex attractions, he would still need to flee temptation and resist sin. So yeah. heterosexuality, it's the right direction, just not the right goal. God never commands us be heterosexual for I am heterosexual. Neither does he say be homosexual for I am homosexual. They're both the wrong secular Freudian categories. Instead, God yeah. says be holy for I am holy. Thus, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. The opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin struggle is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling or tempted. I need to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of life of purity. Change is not the absence of temptations, but it is the spirit wrought ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. So as God was revealing this to me while I was in prison, I mean, I have this all this time on my hands to, 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 to just, it was me, the word of God, the Holy Spirit renewing my mind. He actually called me to ministry while I was in prison um, and I told my parents and I asked them to mail me an application to Moody Bible Institute. Um, and I filled out the application and I always tell people that, you know, my references was a prison chaplain, a prison guard and another prison inmate. <laughs> Amazingly, I was accepted, released from prison July, 2001, uh, started the very next month in August. And I graduated 2005, went out to my master's and then my doctorate. And then I had the blessing, as you mentioned, of co-authoring a book with my mother, out of our country. Several Christian schools are actually using it, using it as a textbook. But I introduced this concept of holy sexuality at the end of that book, and I wanted to flesh that out. And I did that with uh, my book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Design, Relationship Shaped by God's Grand Story, uh, which uh, this video series is based on. That's 
I just love your testimony, Christopher. And listeners should know that if you um, get the Holy Sexuality Project videos, the entire you share that entire testimony, and perhaps even in a little bit more detail. Um, so it's it's just wonderful what the Lord has done in your life. But as I listen to you, I'm hearing you tell the story of a conversion, but I'm also hearing you tell the story of it's it's a theological journey in, in many sure. ways. Uh, in other words, you first apprehended that Jesus saved you and that he's the Lord yes. of your life, but it was like the implications of that Lordship took some time to yes. seep down into your understanding of what you, who you are and That's the right. way God intended you to, to live. Um, does any of that relate to why you did this project? Yeah. I, I mean, so it's my my conversion. I mean, everyone, you know, conversion is is so different. Like my mother, it was just, it was one day. I mean, she, it was almost like one hour on on her train ride from Chicago to Louisville, where she was going to end her life, May thirteenth, nineteen ninety three, and she was going to say goodbye to me before ending it all. I mean, my parents' marriage was in shambles. My older brother was doing his own thing, so she felt like a failure as a mother. All she wanted to be was a a a, a wife and a mother, and now divorce two kids. So she thought that's it. And uh, so hers was very, mine was longer and and I, it was not at all because of God. It was all because of me. I'm just super stubborn and it just took, <laughs> I just kept fighting it. Uh, but yeah, that that's, I wanted this, this series to certainly address not just sexual identity, same-sex attractions, gay identity, even trans and gender those are so important, but here's the underlying thing. I wanted to point, make this a very, very clearly Christocentric resource, mm. you know, and at the very beginning of lesson one, I do give my testimony, but I do end it with, with what I often want to remind people. Yes. The, my story it's, and I know it is, you don't hear many kind of sensational stories like these. Uh, so radical, you know, it was drugs, HIV, you know, I kicked out of school, all of this. Um, I used to identify as gay and now no longer do. And those are key aspects of my depravity and how how far God would reach. Think about that. I mean, how far gone could I be? And that's how far God will reach down his mighty arm to save, to save a wretch like me. And that, so all of that is so it, definitive aspect of my testimony. I, I used to identify as gay and I no longer do, but I want so much for the kids to catch. That's not how I summarize it. I tell people, this is how I summarize, summarize it. I once was blind and now I see. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once did not believe and now I believe in the Son of God and his name is Jesus. I want teens to get that. This really is not about sexuality or what is your sin. I mean, that's not the main issue. The main issue is who is Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? And are we being more conformed into his likeness every day? Like I I begin, each of these 12 lessons has a question and an answer. So it's 
kind of like a modern form of a catechism, if you will, um, a question and an answer. And and lesson one, the question, um, I don't have it in front of me, so I, I'm going to kind of uh, paraphrase a little bit, but it's, yeah, go for it. what's the main goal of sexuality? And the main goal is to glorify God by denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. So it's, it's kind of a, you know, as we know, Westminster, you know, number so it's, it's a little bit, you know, a, a kind of a, uh, an allusion to that, but definitely it's glorify God. And I, and I think, especially when it comes to sexuality, how do we do that? Follow Jesus. But what does that mean? You know, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I follow Jesus, <laughs> but we're not denying ourselves, taking up a cross daily. So I wanted that to be very, very clear in lesson one, and then carry through all the way in the end, through every lesson, that that is the main thing. Actually, I, I end every single lesson. Now go and follow Jesus. Because I know that there's going to be kids, um, you know, who who are probably watching and and they don't, uh, you know, they're, they're probably raised in the church, uh, but they don't, they, Christ is not their savior. So I want to make that super clear. Uh, even lesson seven, um, I have a really strong gospel message at the, at the end, at the end of um, the lesson on marriage, because I'm pointing marriage to the ultimate reality of Christ in the church. And then, you know, when we're talking to about eternity, I, I wanted to bring that in. I even talked about my dad as my mom and dad, you know, my dad is just with the Lord about a year ago. And I wanted to just make that really clear is Christ. Do you have eternal life? Cause if you don't, nothing else matters. This whole lesson doesn't matter. Do is Jesus Christ, your Lord and savior. That always has to be number one. Um, so anyway, that, that definitely just, just my story, um, is kind of just that groundwork, but I don't want it to be just about a story. I think, you know, and you're familiar, Denny, there's, you know, there, there's some resources out there a lot about, oh, you know, this person and that person and, and lots and lots of interviews about all these stories. Um, stories are important, but are these stories communicating one story? And that is the work of God and his people, God's grand story. I mean, that's my subtitle of my book, you know, sex is our relationship shaped by God's grand story. All these human stories, they're interesting. My story, it's interesting, but does it point to the grand meta narrative of Christ redeeming his people from sin and brokenness and pointing them to the ultimate reality, uh, which is God, holiness of God? Uh, so those are key aspects that really are are kind of foundational to the Holy Sexuality Project. Now, as you're looking at the broader evangelical movement, um, I think we both recognize that there are a lot of voices out there today trying to tell Christians what they should be thinking about gender, sexuality, how the gospel relates to all of that. Mm -hmm. um, what are, I'm not asking you to name names, you can say whatever you want in answer to this, but I'm just asking you, what are some of the key teachings that are out there that you think are misleading mm -hmm. um, to, like say there's a, a, a teenager who's discovering they have same-sex attraction or they're having gender confused feelings and they're looking and they're maybe they're in a Christian context and they're looking for some sort of Christian instruction 
We, yeah. we know the world is telling them all the wrong things, but yes, even it seems like within the world of evangelicalism, people are saying different things. So what, what yes. kind of messages are you seeing out there that you would say, okay, I need to raise a warning flag here? Well, I, you know, as I worked on the Holistic Reality Project and, um, you know, it's, I, I think what, what you and Colin uh, worked on um, dovetail really well. Uh, you know, I, initially I was going to do something similar to what, what you, you were doing, you know, with the book form, you know, and you have these, you know, the, these videos that go along with it. Uh, and I thought maybe, you know, I think I, I need to do something almost specifically for youth and parents, um, and specifically for the home. But I'm like, man, if I'm doing something for youth, as much as I bemoan the fact that teens aren't reading, um, and when I say reading, I'm not (laughs) talking about reading their texts or reading TikTok. I'm talking about reading actual books and and they could read them digitally or whatever, but I'm bemoaning the fact that they don't read, but that's unfortunately the reality. So if you have a parent that might be working with a teen that is already kind of thinking, I don't really want to go with this with my parent. And then it's it's something that we read. I, I don't want there to be any stumbling blocks. So what like what's the medium that kids are just consuming voraciously? Well, it's a video for for good and for bad, mostly, maybe mostly for bad. I thought, is there any way that I could kind of redeem that? So that's why we focus. Let's do just strictly. Um, this would be strictly a video source with, and there is a parent guide. It's a digital parent guide as a PDF that, that goes with it, but it's primarily video based uh, with some, and, and the, the parent guide is just for parents. Uh, so that just asks them questions, uh, read a paragraph. So it's, it's actually, they, they go together that the parent is, it's like an instructor guide, but as we call it a parent and grandparent guide, but here's, what I saw as I was doing this this video series, and initially we were going to call it a curriculum, but again, I'm thinking teens. That's yeah. going to scare teens that's away. That's not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we kind of rebranded and call it, you know, really kind of catchy, the Holistic Reality Project, um, which I kind right. of like. I was like, that, you know, the Lord kind of brought that to mind. But as I was looking what's what's out there, as you look at maybe years past, we have, I think, some good resources that are that are focusing on abstinence and uh, you know other things like that. Those are so important to teach our kids. But here is where I think that's a little bit. It's part of the story because we can't build a Christian life just on God's no. We need to teach God's no, but also God's yes. God's commandments are yes, and they're both the the no's, thou shalt not, but they're also thou shalt. It's the yes and the no. So we need to do both. And that was part of the reason why I even wrote my book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, for adults and young adults, college students. And I wanted to kind of do that same thing for the teens. So we kind of have a lot of the, I think we got the no part right, but that wasn't kind of setting up teens for life. But we're finding, as you're saying, Denny, even among evangelical Christians in Bible-believing churches who hold, they say they have a high view of scripture, there's these approaches that honestly are very me-centered, human-centered. As a matter of fact, you know, you know, we talked about this, Denny, as we were texting, you know, what's What's the the name of of Jen Hatmaker's her course that she just came out at the, the beginning of Pride Month um, for parents of quote unquote LGBTQ plus teenagers of kids? It's called Me Course. 
M-E, me course. Like mm. you couldn't be more honest about what this course is about. It's me-centered. It's human-centered. And I don't want to make that mistake. I, I wanted this to be a very Christocentric resource. But honestly, even some of the stuff that's out there, these uh, they seem very loving and very compassionate, but it's honestly, it's the ultimate goal is maintain the relationship at all costs, whether you use so-called pronoun hospitality, whether you just do whatever they say. If your daughter wants you to give her away to another woman in a so-called uh, same-sex wedding, do it because that is so-called love. That's not love. First Corinthians 13, love rejoices in truth. Mm, amen. So by definition, that's not love, but hate. So we see, and, and a lot of these messages are actually, um, you know, be nicer, be a better person. You Christians are just mean. You, all these people, they've been oppressed, which of course it's taking from the, the, the new worldview that we're living today, a very anti-Christian worldview, which is critical theory. I mean, that's, we're all, we're either oppressors or victims. And it kind and, of manipulates the whole movement of, of side B, gay celibate Christianity and revoice and spiritual friendship. Uh, their foundation is victimhood and it, it, oppression. It sort of manipulates parents to view themselves as oppressors unless it, they affirm. It's and, gaslighting completely. And so it, even if there are some parents who would have reluctance about this, they really get run over with this idea that unless you affirm your child, you're going to lead them to destroy themselves. They're going to you know, take their own life or something, but it's really, it's really difficult for parents. It's, it's not, in other words, it's not just the teens that need help here. It's the parents that need some discipling too, on how to stand their ground and how to, how to lead out when they have a, a kid who's struggling. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, the phrase that you, that you often hear is, um, uh, you know, would you, would you like a, a live daughter or a dead son? And those words can only be spoken by, uh, a person who is trying to kidnap your child, hold them hostage, uh, abduct your your children. I mean, th those words, that's the only type of person that would say something like that as evil and as wicked. And, you know, we're just, Tenny, we're, we're seeing the reality of Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. If you do not see the supremacy of Christ in these things. Um, if Christ is not the final goal, but love is just love. I, I don't know about you, but that that's kind of actually one of my pet peeves when people say just love. And I want to clarify people. Do we love? Obviously, of course we do. You know, and people even say God is love. That's true. God is love. But when we say just love, we're not affirming that God is love. We're making love is God. Love is not God. That's what happens when we just love. We make love an end in itself. 
love is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end, and that end must always be Christ. If we're not loving people to Christ, we're essentially just patting people on the back all the way to an eternity apart from Christ. And that's another thing. We do believe in eternity, either with Christ or apart from Christ. And and what often isn't told is you have some of these, you know, resources that are written by people who deny basic Christianity like hell. You know, you know, people like, well, that's, you know, it's it doesn't relate to sexuality. It definitely does, because that's a whole hermeneutic. And it's the hermeneutic hermeneutic of did God really say? Now, Christopher, there are a lot of uh, Christian voices out there who are saying, um, listen, if you're uh, uh, a young person, you're a teenager, you're having struggles with um, same sex attraction or maybe gender identity, you need to understand that you can embrace those identities um, let's let's take homosexuality for for a moment. Let's say you're same sex attracted. You can embrace embrace that sexual identity, and just recognize that you're a gay Christian, but you just don't want to act on it. So, in other words, you embrace the identity while eschewing the the behaviors that would flow from the identity. What does the Holy Sexuality Project have to say to that? Yeah. So my book, the uh, Holy Sexuality, the Gospel, and the video series. It begins with the concept of personhood. We don't go to step two. We don't go move forward without addressing this. And and I would even argue that if there's one thing that I think even as Christians, we don't fully comprehend as the one, a huge error that the world is making and now that it's seeping into the church is how the world has conflated sexuality with personhood. And and as you know, Denny, you know, that we're so involved in this conversation um, and we're, this is our world, right? So we're very familiar with all the arguments and stuff. And and one of the, the biggest arguments that I often hear is, you know, essentially we're just quibbling over words. You say tomato, I say tomato, you know, um, I do not identify as gay. I do not use that terminology. Someone else will. But essentially, we, we just mean the same thing, that it just means, you know, we have same-sex attractions. I want to be as clear as day as a man who lived in the gay community for many, 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 many years. Gay does not simply mean having same such attractions we could and, and it's and it's uh, i i actually kind of find it a little funny that you hear all these people that are trying to say that this is what it means when their world they, they were just raised in the church all their life they never lived outside the church in the gay community to actually find out what are there people who use the term gay and they say i only i only mean see what, what they're doing is they're trying to constrict the definition of that word to only mean attractions and nothing more we cannot redefine words no one can do that the people who might might you only use that term honestly is probably 1.001% of the of all of the general population here in the united states the vast majority of people who use that, and and I hear people, they're like, oh, all my friends who, you know, who use that term, they just mean same-sex attractions. That, yeah, that could be even 50, you mean, 100 people You mean fine, like gay, but you mean millions like gay and millions and, and millions Christian? of people. Yeah, the term gay. 
does not simply mean having saying such a trash. Is is that part of it? Yes. But it what it means when, when you ask someone, what do you mean when when you say you're gay? No one I know has ever said, when I say I'm gay, I mean this is what I feel. No one. What people, if you were to ask them, they will say, This is who I am. Do you use what or who to describe gay? This shift from what to who has created this radically distorted view of personhood. And we need to begin here because this is about sin and sanctification. I mean, what does it mean when you come to Christ? It's dealing with your sin. So does does Christ only deal with your sin in part or in whole? That's It's just very basic biblical doctrine. And is... Is it simply and here and, and so it's not just about the terminology or we're just quibbling over words, it's about the meanings of those words. Gay is inseparable today with essence about who a person is. And and even those who uh, you know are, are gay celibate Christians, they said, you know, I can't change. This is who we are. I, I'll I'll be this even in eternity, which is insane, which is crazy. Um, because actually, and you know, if if we clearly look at scripture, Matthew 22, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. And if there's no marriage in heaven, that means there's not going to be sex in heaven because obviously, you know, sex is only for marriage, earthly marriage uh, between a man and a woman. And that let's, let's take that logic further. If there is no sex in heaven, there's no marriage in heaven because marriage in, has been fulfilled. Uh, there's no sex in heaven because there's no, uh, there's no marriage in heaven. By logic, there's also there won't be any sexual desires in heaven because we won't have any unfulfilled desires. Uh, and also, if we take that logic, that means that sexuality, just as marriage, is just uh, a, 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 it's just for here and now. Sexuality will be fulfilled as marriage will be fulfilled in eternity. So, who are we to say that I will still be gay, quote unquote, in heaven? They're not, they don't understand the basic concepts of Christianity, of, of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. So those these are very important. We I don't identify as gay because that's my old self. The old is gone, the new has come. I am a new creation. Who are we to resuscitate our old man and continue to identify with the first Adam as opposed to the second Adam Christ? So it's really interesting because it seems like the modern mindset is whatever my sexual feelings are, that's what I am. Yes. And so it, if, if I have, you know, sexual feelings for the opposite sex, I am a heterosexual. If I have sexual feelings for the same sex, I'm a homosexual. If I have it for both sexes, I'm a, I'm a bisexual, but it's my sexual feelings that determine who I am. Mm -hmm. And yet when you look at the Bible, it seems to say, you know, actually you're what God made you to be. Amen. Uh, he He designed you to be either a male or a female. And if you want to use the term orientation, you're orient, you're oriented towards the opposite sex by virtue of the way God made your body. The way that he created your body says that you're orient. It expresses what direction you're supposed to be, to be pointed in quite apart from your feelings, your feelings either yeah. correspond to that or not. And we know that in a fallen world, oftentimes our feelings don't correspond to the That's givenness right. in God's creation. 
But when they don't correspond to that, we call that sin in the flesh. We don't call it who I am and what God made me to be. Um, right. It, it, it's a it's a feature of the fall. So it, that's what I hear you saying, and that's what it, it seems to set apart the Holy Sexuality Project from some other projects who are just saying, no, you should em- you should embrace your sexual feelings, whatever they may be, as who you are. That's right. And as what God designed you to be without accounting for the fact that your sexual feelings could be fallen. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, I I, I tell people don't identify by your des- sexual desires or any desire for that matter. And, and even, and, and I tell this to actually all teens and young adults that I speak to, do not make the presence or absence of any sexual desire who you are. That is not who you are. As a matter of fact, I tell people gay, straight, bi, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, don't actually define a person. They define our experience. That is so important. Uh, Gay, straight, bi, those define not people, but our desires. A desire and attraction is not a person. The world is making as if our experience, our, our attractions, uh, is uh, is are who we are. And if we're able to separate those two, then we're able now to talk about the reality of our experiences apart from who we are. So I, I begin there with, with that really important concept of teasing out the difference between experience and essence. And then, you know, so I, I talk about how sexual identity is a false identity. And then I, you know, so then the question then is then who are we? And that's when I get into this, you know, the important concept of we are created in the image of God. What does that mean? Uh, And yet we're also all fallen. We need to start with those basic things. In my book, I said, we can't understand human sexuality without beginning with theological anthropology. We're created in God's image, but we're also all fallen. Those two will very much inform our understanding of sexuality, same-sex attractions, those who identify as gay, those who identify as so-called trans. All these things are important. We need to begin there. Yes, we're creating in, in the image of God, but we're also all fallen. Christopher, I can't wait for people to see the Holy Sexuality Project. And um, I, I want re- uh, listeners to know that you can find it online at Holy Sexuality. Pro- no, it's holysexuality.com, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Holy almost at holysexualityproject. It's holysexuality.com. Yes. You can see the whole series there, and um, it's it's available there um, for. I think it's. Uh, I don't know what the cost is, but it's it's all there. Yeah. And, I mean, it normally it's it normally is uh, should should be cost like other resources out there are similar. It's two hundred dollars for. It's two hundred seventy minutes of content, 30, 36 videos, twelve lessons, also a parent guide. But we have some really, really generous donors, um, and it's just twenty dollars. That uh, you know, people. Oh, wow. I don't think fully comprehend how this That's is immense steal, steal, a complete steal. Because um, my, our donors, my parents, um, they wanted to cover the cost so that every single parent with a teen has one. 
one home, one uh, one license, one one project to turn the tide. And this is also um, it's it's really also for grandparents and their teenage grandchildren because so many parents and grand grandparents are so scared they don't know where to start. And essentially, all they need to know is how to press play. And that's our hope to help that um, churches can get parents and grandparents together to go through it first, and then they feel comfortable and confident to go home and do it with their kids. But yes, it's just at holysexuality.com. Donors are covering it uh, 90%. Actually, all of that $20 is going to the next project, which will be the Holy Sexuality Project for children. Like these, that would be grade school because right now this is for teens and maybe preteens, yeah. but our next project. So this, all the $20, which is not even covering, you know, the current one is going to the next one. On your website or on YouTube, is there a preview of any of the content that people can see? Yeah. So if they go, they can, uh, they'll be, you go to the website, holysexuality.com. You'll scroll down. There's a little promo video. And then if you scroll down further or there's a press a button and you could just get a free sample and you could watch lesson two. And that actually is my lesson on identity again, which I think that's that's a super important foundation. Oh, right. So they can watch lesson two. They can kind of see the, the study guide of lesson one and lesson two in an introduction. So they get a taste of it. Uh, but it really is a steal. And we're also finding ways that people can gift it to others. We haven't set that up yet, but it will be set up soon where people can do that. And churches can get group uh, bundles together where they can get, uh, so they can organize and have parents go through it together, which is really important, I think. So then you find camaraderie, you can find some accountability, you can encourage each other, you'll have a pastor or elder that can be guiding you if they have any questions. Because I mean, Denny, as you know, it's all hands on deck. Oh, absolutely. Silence is no longer an option. And when we're seeing even more and more of these confusing questions, which is telling our kids, and this is what's frustrating, Denny, is a lot of times these approaches are just just love, being really compassionate. That probably should have been what should have been said 20 years ago. But when we're teaching that what should have been said 20 years ago to where our kids are at now, our kids are not struggling with truth at the expense of grace. They are basically grace at the expense of truth. And when our response is that, that's pushing many just over the edge. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a good point. Well, listen, Christopher, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on here. Thank you for partnering with us. And uh, we are really eager to let listeners know about this project it is so well done so uh, if you're listening now go check out holysexuality.com and get this content it's wonderful it'll be a blessing to you um, to your church and to anybody you know that are wrestling with these issues go check it out holysexuality.com thank you christopher thanks for having me on Danny. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.